Uh, this week, I had a good friend ask me a question. I, I kind of wasn't ready for it. None of the context was, was um, but it really relates to this, and I'm not going to answer it with you guys. I just want you to think about it as well. It said, why do we invite people to church? Why do we go, or why do we invite people to church? So hopefully you just had an answer. Um, it's kind of like in the classroom when a teacher asks a question, people do. They raise their hand because they what? They know the answer. Absolutely. And that's why we invite people to, to come to church and to fellowship because hopefully it's because we love the Lord and we want to share that with other people. And at the same time, we want to grow and learn. And, uh, you know, Cameron is often quite nice. He's like, Robert, I know you're busy and I, you know, ask you whether to preach or not. And I'm like, you know, I have a lot more time to prepare a sermon than you do because you're preaching every Sunday. <laughs> Uh, this one's been in the hopper for a while, just kind of percolating um, for me because it's, it's life is what God was trying to get my attention again. Uh, and if you don't know me, I, I am a, na- a chaplain in the Navy, which is an institution, not a church. Uh, so we get to go care for everybody and, and then do a lot of that, um, what I call juggling within uh, the different things. And we advise commands on issues of morale or morals or ethics. And uh, so it is, it is a fun place, it's a taxing place, but it's, if God's called you to it, it's, it, there's no better place to be. Well, I guess a couple of graduations ago, um, I'm in the line to shake the graduates' hands after they get their pen, whether seal or swick pen. I'm at the schoolhouse over here, and this kid looks me right in the eye and he said, hey, sir, I never would have made it through without your help. And that should be a glorious moment, shouldn't it? And I'm thinking, I have no idea who you are. And which is sad, which is sad because I'm too busy. I thought about that. So yesterday I was cleaning out my phone and I was going through text. And there's this Christian music artist named Luke Spihar, whose brother was killed with a bunch of my guys back in 2011. And we've stayed in touch. And I told him, I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get into some churches in the southeast. And I see a text there and it was from back in uh, late October. And I'm like, man. Another, I'm too busy. Great guy. And there's a couple that uh, I love, and they're, they're, they're a sweet couple, a sweet family. And I talked to them about a tool that I could send them so we could do some, some marriage counseling. I do prepare and enrich, and it's in there. It's their information, and I even have a reply. that says, hopefully I'm smart enough to move this to my email. And again, I'm too busy. And I'm too busy, what you would call, say, doing God's work. But we can be way too busy. We have to be connected to the vine, right? And I wouldn't say I'm not connected. I just think I'm running through the vine kind of too fast at times. And so I, I said, where do we land? You know, God, what are we doing here? Um, because, you know, I can't just quit. <laughs> so how do you bring back the boundaries in your own life to where you can take care of your first ministry, your family? Folks, that's, that's our first ministry, our families. And but still do what you're called and paid to do for the Navy. And I'm called first before I'm oathed. I always tell people if my oath and my call conflicts, I don't quit my call. I quit my oath. I would resign. So that's, that's how we should do those things. So I don't want to be a somber moment because I think a lot of y'all are like, you know, Robert's preaching. It's usually kind of upbeat. It is upbeat because there is an answer to all of this kind of craziness that goes on. And in our society, um, and I'm not a, 
I'm not a sin killer. You know, I think I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And if we're speaking truth, I don't have to point out what you're dealing with, or nor do you have to point out what I'm dealing with. If we just listen in our heart what God says. We, we know what sin is, right? Don't we? I hope so. Hopefully we're talking about those things. We know that what, what is outside of God's will. And we don't have to hammer each other. The only way to defeat a lie, the only way to defeat a lie is with the truth, is with the truth. So that's another thing that hit me recently. When you're ministering to somebody and you ministered for a long time and you see them wrestle. Now, it's not all my, you know, they have responsibility, but I'm thinking, did I prepare them for this, you know, though I walk through the valley of shadow death moment because I'm in relation with them? Did I, did I talk about Christ as we walked along the roads and are waking up and are going to sleep? And I know that's for the kids, but that's for all of us as we do that. Because life really comes at us super busy. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. And we're going to see what our determined purpose is. You want to know what your purpose is today? You're going to leave with what God says your purpose is today. Not what Robert. You know, we all have plans for everybody's lives, right? Everyone's talking to me about my my next billet. I get to talk to the detailers soon and all my mentors and supervisors, they've got plans for my life. Tell me where I need to go. And basically, Cheryl and I had to sit and pray and say, God, whatever, you work through all these yahoos who think they know your will and you, you impose your will upon the system and we'll either go or stay, wherever he wants us to go or stay. Can he work through a system? I think he says he puts the kings in place, right? So you can put a little bald-headed dude somewhere if he needs to. All right. Big Bible. It's very little writing, very small writing. I apologize. This is what you call a comparative study Bible. And you don't need to carry this because if you talk to Fitz or, uh, or me, I'm, I'm not as good as he is on this, but Logos has all this in one touch. And you can parallel them together and you can see some of the, the stuff that's going on. And Yeah, we are, we are going today to really hit where... Uh, where we should be in our walks, uh, not because I say so, but because Paul, the Holy Spirit, spoke through him to write this book. So, and I forgot my reading glasses, so this is going to be interesting. Can someone read 3, 1 through 10? Okay, Mark, uh, you got, was just reading? Yes. Oh, okay. Mark's a good friend of mine from Japan. He's a port engineer, and I got to see him today for the first time since 2009, and the beauty of that, wow, these are perfect. The, yeah, I am, and I need to know what the magnification on these are because it's perfect. But, but um, Mark and I hit it. We haven't seen each other since uh, he saw me get on a bus in September of 2009. And today they stopped by the house, and it was the same thing. So, hello, hugs, and he started asking me questions about God. <laughs> I mean, it's, he walks and exudes that, and he's hunger and, and thirsty. Are we all hungry and thirsty for his righteousness. And how do we know Jesus if we don't know his word? It's very interesting. So let's, let's see what Paul has to say. Finally, my brothers, uh, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. You've probably heard this sermon before somewhere, so it's okay. He said it's okay. Again, it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So 
I'm not sure the church there was doing all that, but he was calling forth who they were. That's who we are. If you're a child of God, those things are true to you. You are the circumcision. You worship by the Spirit of God. You glory in Jesus Christ, and you should put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, he goes through this whole um, Jewish uh, um, entitlement. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as her zeal, persecuting the church, as her legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay? So I think Paul, in, in my sidebar, was, was saved from being a narcissist that was just arrogant and about all himself and everything. Um, and wow, he just turned the page, and he's all about everyone else. That's what God does in our life. So we have to first ask, was there a change? Was there a change? I'm not, I'm not judging your fruit. The Holy Spirit is there. He can help you. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Actually, it's excrement. I said excrement in church. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and by faith. And then verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of suffering and sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, make these verses come alive with the supporting points that you put on our heart as, uh, as we seek to, uh, to return to you if we're away from you. We seek to be, uh, be encouraged if we're already where we're supposed to be. And uh, if we're not there at all, to see your open arms, to know that you are a forgiving, merciful, and great God who loves us unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to go to focus on 8 through 10. And we're going to do it in the Amplified version. So Amplified is, a, is, is kind of is a translation that kind of does the work of uh, all the commentaries and throws it within the text. That makes sense, okay. So it's not a it's not a literal translation, but it's it's amplified by study outside into some commentaries and stuff. But we read the text. Now we're going to read that. So verse eight. Yes. Furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him and of perceiving and recognizing understanding Him more fully and clearly. For His sake, I have lost everything and considered all to be mere rubbish, refuse, dregs, in order that I may win, gain Christ, the Anointed One, and that I may actually be found and known as in Him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my own obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with God, thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. 
And here's your purpose. For my determined purpose is that I may know him. Now, this morning, Mark hit me. He didn't know where we were headed, but he said, you know, in, in Scripture, it says God knew you before the foundations of the earth, right? Did he knit you together in the mother's womb? God knows us intimately. We can't hide. We can think that he doesn't see the things or if we just kind of look this way, but he knows that everything we're doing, everything we're thinking. That's why I tell people when you're angry with God, go to God. He already knows it. You're not, you're not like fooling God on that. You know, I call that the Lieutenant Dan moment out of Forrest Gump when he's up on the boat and he's like yelling at God. I've said it before in here. Hollywood got it right. The next scene, he's, he's, he's redeemed. He's living life. And Hollywood didn't even know they got it right. It was just a good picture of what could happen when you meet Jesus. So when, when things aren't going your way, don't, don't feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. I need to run from God because God's already seeing where you're at. He's going to see where you're running, and he's asking you to come to him. That's the whole thing. We don't, we don't have to appease an angry God. His wrath has already been met through his son, Jesus Christ. We were objects of wrath, okay? And when you're, when you're not saved, you still kind of live over in that lane. But Jesus was the person who met all of God's wrath on the cross. We do not have to run. Now, he's not our bro and our best buddy little Jesus on my dashboard thing. But he is, when he says we're a friend of God, it's a different type of friend than we might say here now, all right? It says to fear the Lord and have respect and awe. And so some of that, the big man upstairs stuff, I think sometimes we say that, but we have to be careful to realize what are we meaning and what are we meaning. And I can't define your meaning, so I won't judge you. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's finish that verse. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Wow. And that I may so share his suffering as to continually transform in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. Isn't that pretty cool? So let's unpack that a little bit. Sorry, I'm not the iPad guy either. But I looked around for pads of paper, and apparently we don't have pads of paper today anymore. So I put notes on my iPad. So the reason I have my iPad is because Fitz and other people have taught me that you can deploy on a ship with your entire library and do all your work or deploy downrange with that all downrange. So that's not that I'm going anywhere, I, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> I've got to get used to it. It's going to take me that long to be ready for when that happens. So, the great basic problem of life is to find fellowship with God and to be at peace and in friendship with Him. Okay, and, and here we have lots of, you've heard lots of messages. It's inter- interesting. I could probably poll some people over here today about, I'll take you to lunch, and at 2 o'clock I'll give you a poll, and some people over here, and you're going you're gonna to have landed in different places because the Holy Spirit is going to kind of teach you, what you're, where you're at. And then some people are going to hear it based upon their prior teachings. So a lot of times when I go into prayer, I say, I say, God, you know, as I come to prayer, Holy Spirit, keep me from any bad teachings from my past. Keep me from distraction from the enemy and let me focus on what you have. Because sometimes I have to erase. We all come with baggage. If you walked in that door and you've lived life before, you have baggage. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. You might have Gucci baggage. 
but it's still stuff that we have to have, okay? So we think about that. And so when Cameron talks a lot about community and, and, and growing up and having these, uh, these um, missional community groups, these home groups, and you heard us explain a little bit about the one that happens at uh, Nate and Joy's. I mean, there's a lot that goes on there that people can't see or know. And it's at so many different levels. Um, and I think sometimes we, we forget and we don't hear that he says the, the only way to go into that relationship intentionally and not like hitting people in the head with a Bible, but knowing Jesus is you've got to have some time with the Lord. That's why I like that song. I miss my time with you. You're too busy, busy trying to serve me. How can you serve me when your spirit's empty? That's Larnell Harris's way old song, but it's a great song. And it really speaks to what are we prepping for? In any competition, and Paul uses that language as the fighter, the runner, and anything. In any competition, there's training. In any, and I'm not saying the Christian life is a competition, but when we go outside there, we're not the favored in the world anymore. In fact, we're the ones that are allowed to be picked on, and everything else should not be picked on. I mean, your kids up in L.A. are being told that Allah is number one, uh, one and they're making them teach that as we sit and watch it go by. So it depends on what we want to do there. So let's go to eight. What is more? So when we unpack that, Paul's conversion, if you remember his conversion, it was on the road to Damascus, right? His was a little different than mine. I didn't get blinded by a light and have a song written about me many years ago by a rock band. But the key is, a few of you got that. The key is, um, it was big. It was a big time. He was, am I still on? Sorry. You know, when I grew up, this was the rock star. You know, the guy sliding across the stage with a little thing on his. It was the new and greatest technology, and now I'm wearing it, so it must be old. <laughs> so it left a strong and lasting impression upon Paul. It changed him. It was that what Howard was talking about last week, that 180 degree, you know. Repent and believe. You know, boom, I'm turning. Paul turned. And it, it, I mean, he was like the persecutor, the number one. He was like ranked number one in the world. He was like persecuting champion of the, of the world on how to get the Christians persecuted. And he did a 180. An intimate communion happened. And then when he talks about all those things, you know, the whole list that we all have, uh, it doesn't matter. You're not a Pharisee. You're not, uh, you know, from any of these tribes. But guess what? Every one of you have a title on something. And you've got to be careful how you own that title because it's not who you are. Okay, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a Navy chaplain in the Navy, but that's not who I am. It's what I do. Who I am should be a part of that. And I work in a pretty elite community, but I tell them all the time, you're not a SEAL, you're not a SWIC. That's what you do. Because one day that's coming off. And all those little ribbons we get and all that candy, chest candy, means nothing when you retire or walk out into the civilian world and says, what is that? Well, I deployed GWAT this, and I did this. And they're like, oh, okay. well, thank you for serving. Just whatever's on your rank or on your sleeve. So I, I, I killed us Navy folks and military folks. But we're still important, and we're on a mission, and we have something to do. And God gave us our gifts, talents, and abilities, and we're to be stewards of those, whether we're a chaplain, a pilot, a SEAL, um, an IDC, I'm, I'm looking around, a GM, all kinds of different things we have in here, beautiful things. CBs, right? Can do. Got it. But you have the same thing in your jobs. You do. You have titles. Don't be that title. Be who God said you are to be. 
And how can you be who God said you be if you're not in his word at finding out who God says you are? That you're the light and salt of the earth. So we can't do missional community without doing some intimate relational work with our God. It makes the uh, missional community even better. Verse 9, found in him, that's the eschatological talk, that at the divine scrutiny, the judgment, that he had been in vital spiritual union. He wants to be found that when that day comes, I want the Lord to say, yep, that man has been in divine, vital spiritual union with me. Got it. Yep, got it. Now that's, that's that's a drive. A lot of this other stuff falls away. In verse 10, not only of the divine power that raised Christ from the dead. See, we, we want to know the power of his resurrection. And we all, talk, we all stop that and think, oh, the power of his resurrection. Oh, it's alive in us. The power of the resurrection is here and now. And we want to know what that feels like in our life right now. How else do when someone just slays you in some aspect, do you stand and grin and go, you can call me that. And I've had moments in my life where that's worked and moments where I've just crumbled. When someone said something, I remember working for this very godless coach and uh, one of one of the other coaches, it was a weird coaching staff. And one of the coaches, he just said to me, he goes, man, every time I drink, I get a headache. And being the smart guy I am is don't drink. I just thought that was a good linkage. And he quit drinking. So the, the other coach lost his drinking buddy, but he also lost his headaches. Not bad, right? So I'm out there getting the uniforms ready because we spoil the kids at this school I was at and we wash their own uniforms. Or I, I washed them at home and then we would drape them over the, the chairs in the locker room. And he's like, Robert, I don't respect you as a man. That's a zinger if you're not ready for it. But God, I don't know, I'm not quick-witted, but God was like, told me, you know, I just came out my mouth, that's okay, I don't like your definition of a man. And I just kept working. And... And it worked out. We actually ended very well. I got one of the best um, letters of recommendation I've ever had as I moved on from that to go coach it and then end up on an all-Christian coaching staff. It was pretty cool. So was I ready for that one? Yes. Have I, I can stand up here and share you all the other ones I haven't been ready for. But I didn't own it because it wasn't true. The world says a lot about us that's not true. So don't own it. Don't own it. But you can't combat a lie if you don't know the truth. And that's the enemy is banking on us not knowing our word. He is doing because he knows it. Because remember it says, hey, even the demons believe and shudder. So what is your deal? I mean, he'll test and press, but we have the answer. That's the beautiful thing. So the no in this verse, and we're going to go do, I'm going to do the how. How do we do all this? So the no is gnoskin, and that's all the Greek I'm going to give you this week. I used to sit in church when guys would do Greek and all that, and I'm like, man, don't tell me how the baby's made. Just show me the baby, okay? <laughs> we should be doing our studies when we're preaching, right? I hope we are. So, But this one was important, especially for this one, because that's the same Greek word used for intimacy, okay? It's personal knowledge, not simply intellectual knowledge, and it's the most intimate knowledge. So think about this. The God who created all things, who sent his son for all of us, says, I want to bring you into an intimate, knowing, knowledge relationship. 
He's not a God of confusion. We don't have to go, ah, what, what's God's will in this? It's pretty clear. A lot of places in the Bible would answer a lot of our God's will questions. They're all through there. And guess what? There's a lot of mystery there, too. And you talk about taking another bite off the mystery apple. Sometimes it, there's the faith thing. And I think God keeps that from us to, to help us understand faith. Um, but often, I think some of the things that we think are mystery are actually things that have to be mined in an intimate, personal, Gnoskin relationship in the Word with the Son. And I think they actually are known. Test me on that if you want. It is, and I have a buddy, he hates this, but that Greek, I, I tell him all the time, he's a chaplain too. The Greek says it. <laughs> it's a relationship, not a religion. A lot of people want to, I'm not knocking relig, religion in the context that we might understand it, but the world, millennials, so all you younger generation, which I'm like a millennial that was born 30 years later, What's the millennials are why and what's in it for me? That's today's society. So we got to understand that. So, okay, big, big ball-headed dude, how do we do this? To order, step one, if you're taking notes, simplicity. To reorder one's private life. That's how you're going to know God unless you reorder your private life and have some simplicity. So, in the GNT, uh, that's the good news uh, Bible. I'm, I'm all over the place here. But uh, it says in Ecclesiastes 7.29, now, in all the, almost all the other translation, it says God has made us upright and we have sought out all d- evil devices or evil ways. And this one was very interesting. It said, this is all that I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. We are very complicated. And, and whether we want to say it or not, and I'm not placing it all on you, um, but maybe you're in it with me. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of people pleasing in all of us. We want people to like us. So we want things to be smooth unless you just like conflict, and I'm not a big conflict lover. Um, but we have made ourselves so, so complicated. Just think about advertising. I've talked to my buddies who are in advertising. It's designed to make you discontent, period. They've got to sell you something. That's why sometimes Cheryl joke, you want to go to the mall? I said, no, nah, I really don't need to know what I, I don't really need that I might want. Does that make sense? You know, because I'll get out there, and, and my worse is a lot more expensive than her worse. Mine's, mine's got four wheels, usually. <laughs> you know? Uh, there's Chevy put out a new mid-sized truck, finally. I've been waiting for a small mid-sized truck, and I'm like, oh, man. And guess what? I parked beside one Friday night, and I was like, uh-oh. I don't know I needed that, but I need it. <laughs> or as my little niece said when she was eight, it needs me. So when you, watch, when you watch TV or when you walk through something or God forbid you're on Facebook where someone posts their every little movement and, and moment and it makes your life seem boring, um, don't buy into that. Be simple. Be simple. As you get older, it makes sense, but I don't understand the part by why I have to get older to understand it, but it, it happened. Um, competition, we're all about that. Not only do we acquire, we keep, and we accumulate. You know, if you go to a third world nation, it is kind of interesting how much stuff we actually do have. It's kind of, kind of just smacks me. And then doing the Ronald McDonald house the other night, and all these families are in the hospital because one of their loved ones is in the hospital. And so they're staying there. That's my understanding. It's kind of like the Fisher house for the military side. And you don't really know what to say with them. Like, 
a normal greeting is, how you doing? Well, you know, my three-year-old's a nice, you know, he's like, wow, how, how do you engage with that? But it's real. It's real, and it reminded me that when my dad was dying in Duke University, uh, Duke Medical Center, whatever it's called, I was sitting in, in a emergency room, me, one person with about 20 others, and it, it really hit me. God just hit, floored me with some overwhelming research. He said, Robert, this is one waiting room in one hospital in one city in the world. How many people are waiting for news right now? And just Duke University Hospital alone has multiple floors. I'm thinking, that is overwhelming, God. There's a lot of hurting people sitting in waiting rooms waiting for news. And it's in everything. It's in everything that we do. Be simple. Can someone read 2 Corinthians 11.3? And I'll move to the next point. So if you don't listen to my words about how the world's after you, that's scripture that says, I fear that the evil one is going to try to corrupt your spirit as well. So second point is to be still. So, so far we have to reorder one's private life, which is simplicity. And the second one is to be still, which is silence. In Psalm 46.10, most people have heard this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, if you look at the Hebrew there, and it's important that you actually do hear that Hebrew, it's exactly what Howard was talking about last week about the kid running out in the street. As a parent, you love your kids, right? Hopefully, prayerfully. And if they're getting ready to run out in the street, you yell their name, right? Because you don't want them to get hit by a car. And this is God emphatically saying, be still, I got this. Eugene Peterson in the message says, seek your striving. Okay, be still. Do you trust God in what's going on? I see a lot of people climb the corporate ladder and they get to the top of the ladder and they're on the wrong peak or the wrong building or whatever it is. And they look up there and go, man, this is not where I wanted to be. I spent a lot of time talking to young men with hopes and dreams, big hopes and dreams. Some of the smartest, brightest guys we get in the Navy, but they're going somewhere else and they're going to have to learn through adversity and transition. Are you ready for that too? Learning through adversity and transition. The grass grows in the valley, right? Everybody wants to be on the mountaintop. The grass grows in the valley. Noise everywhere. Okay, I am, I am the worst in this point. I'll get in my car, and what's the first thing I do? Radio. You go into a store. Have you been to a quiet store lately? No, I mean, good gracious. What do you do? Only you can answer this. What do you do when it gets quiet? A lot of people are afraid to pull the mirror up. It's easy for me to tell y'all what to do and all this stuff, but I have to go lay in bed at night when it's all quiet. And guess who I guess who the audience is then? It's me looking at me as God is talking to me. You have to look in the mirror. You have to have some silence in your life. How do you teach your kids to embrace? Ready? I think you know where I'm going with this. I'm bored. How do you teach them to embrace boredom? 
Or do we teach them to embrace boredom? I don't know. I remember saying it as a kid. I remember sitting in a church with Dr. Richard Walker, who's a missionary to Brazil, great pastor. Guess how much I got out of years of his preaching? Nothing. Because I sat in the back wondering, how long is this guy going to talk and wonder where we're eating today as a kid? That was me. What a waste. So my encouragement to you is if you're somewhere, even if it's a bad speaker, learn something from it. Learn what not to do, learn what to do, but engage your mind because we're so worried about the silence that we'll engage it the wrong way. How many people get very distracted when you start to pray? Okay, I'm the only one with two hands up. All the thoughts come in your day. Oh, you got to do this tomorrow. Oh, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? By design, not God's design. So how do you flush that out? You be still. I had a friend also who said he would take a, one of those big yellow legal pads, and when all those thoughts would in, write it down, back to the Word, back to the Lord. There's all kinds of things we can do to take every thought captive to renew our mind. Jesus spoke a lot about our mind, and our mind is powerful. The hardest counseling case I ever deal with is depression, and every one of us is, is susceptible to depression. Don't, don't, you know, stand firm, least ye fall. <laughs> That's scripture, all right? So we have to know that. Um, noise and crowds have a way of siphoning our energy and distracting our attention, making prayer an added chore rather than a comforting relief. Oh, I've got to pray. I forgot to pray. Oh, okay, here comes, here comes someone, so he asked me to pray for him. God help him. Hey, did you pray for me? Yes, I did. I did. I prayed for you. See how, see how we sometimes get into the rote spiritual um, exercises for, for no reason. The next one. So we want, to, we want to have simplicity. We need to be silent, and we need to be alone to cultivate serenity, solitude. I am a high extrovert. This is the one that does, gets me the most. I, I energize on people. I have to look in their eyes, and when the glaze comes over their eyes, I'm like, I need to leave. I have just worn them out. <laughs> okay? So when I'm traveling, I was, when I used to go hop all these fobs in Afghanistan, I never stayed anywhere longer than three to seven days because they were needing a break from chaps. Because <laughs> I was like, hey, man, how you doing? Good. I'm all over the place. I, I, love, I love people and a high extrovert. But the danger for us is we sometimes forget we need the best recharging we get is with the Lord, not with people, even though people energize me. And Cheryl's a high extrovert, so you can imagine the two of us somewhere. We love you, whether you're lovable or not. So in solitude, the furnace, listen to this. And I, I steal these words from a, out of a book, Intimacy with the Almighty by Chuck Swindoll. 95, Billy Graham just they, they posted something that he said in like 65 about how godless we were turning. And I'm like, wow. And, you know. If he would hit us again, it'd be very sad. The furnace of transformation is where clutter is identified and exterminated. You could be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How's your mind? Is the truth coming in? Where do you get the truth? Not Google. Don't Google it. Bible it. I want to read, hopefully, oh yeah, I got glasses. Hopefully I can read this to you. This is a guy who was at the top of the world. He used to teach at Harvard. And when he decided to simplify his life, he went and worked at the uh, 
the uh, special needs home in Toronto just to serve out the rest of his life. The guy was a genius. He said, in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude, a nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, and my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I am worth something. But that is not all. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. That's that distraction I was telling you about. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces. The task is to persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. A lot of us, I think sometimes a lot of us are afraid to be in solitude because then when David said, search me, O Lord, and know my heart, it's a good prayer for us to have. We shouldn't have it every three years because that's a lot of searching. Should be should be a daily walk. God, who probes our deepest thoughts during protracted segments of solitude, opens our eyes to things that need attention. We don't need each other to be holy spirits. We've got a great one. Let's be honest. Most of us are not comfortable in solitude. We've become so busy that we have become so empty and chase more stuff. We do. The stuff never satisfies. I think Rich Mullins wrote a song, you know, I just need one thing. What I really mean is I need one thing more. Because when you get that thing, it doesn't satisfy, so we move to the next. Are you content? Are you content with where your life is? God wants you to be. He wants you to enjoy life. Almost done. I don't like going long-winded. This is out of Psalm 139. This is David again. This is beautiful. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As the deer panteth for the water, so my what? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for the truth? He wants to give it to us. Isn't that cool? We're just so distracted. Well, at least I am. Maybe, maybe one guy's going to get something out of this message today if it would just be me. And the last part, and you've heard messages on this recently, is to trust the Lord completely, and we sang about it today. Thanks that God speaks to our, our music team. And that, the big word there is surrender. Holy surrender. Man. By, by the way, if you're a guest, most of that band is Fishers of Men. They have stuff on YouTube, and they're, they're really good. So if you have to have music playing all the time, you get in the car, at least put them on. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Someone quote, someone quote that. Someone knows that. Do you trust God? Tell you what, my biggest struggle over time, 
I think I trust God, and then I take it right back, and I'm like, oh, I'm not trusting God again. It's so wonderful in the moments where I trust God. It feels so good to know that, hey, it doesn't matter what your plans are for me or what evil thoughts you have for me. God's got it. And when I'm there, there's no better place in the world to be. And then I forget. And I had this whole Elijah moment after God just beat up all the gods and drenched everything. And I run to my little tunnel, I mean my cave, because some Jezebel kind of questions me. See, God puts all those stories in the Bible for us to know. We don't have to do it. We already know we're good. If we run, he'll be there. So don't run. <laughs> I think it would be so cool to stand there and just go, really? You might need to yell a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. And just pummel, pummel, pummel. I'm like, man, that is so cool. <laughs> Surrender is the key that unlocks the vault of God's best and deepest treasures. Have you, have you given your life to him? I know at times I've given parts of God, parts of my life to God. I, I won't give you my whole testimony, but even being in ministry, I did not want to be in full-time ministry. I wanted it on my terms. God let me coach and teach at the local high school, and I'll give you free time doing youth ministry at a church. And he's like, okay. And then he's kept calling me forward, and I didn't like it. Because I had this look that most pastors were heavy dudes that ate at buffets and played golf. So I didn't have a lot of respect for the office of the pastorship. That's not, that's not, that wasn't good, but that was me. Again, I missed a whole childhood of listening to a great pastor because I tried to figure out how you could sleep like this in a seat. Never did, but my buddy Joey could the whole time. <laughs> Just sleep the whole, I'd get mad at him because he could sleep and I couldn't. And so I missed out on a lot. Our society prides itself on independence. It really does. But that's the opposite of what God's called us to in community. We have reared a generation of strong-willed, belligerent, independent young people. A chaplain sent me a, uh, it's like unbelievable facts, and I almost had a hard time believing it. <laughs> but there's this video game, and I don't know video games. I have one on my phone, and it's like Breakout, and I like it because it's just slide back and forth and hit a brick and come back down. It's easy. You put me on these newfangled things, and I'm shooting in the ground or shooting in the air, and guys are killing me. I don't know how to do that. But I want you to hear me. I'm not slaying video games or anything. All that stuff is neutral, by the way. Most of the stuff is neutral. It's what we do with it. And they said that they have been able to put a timer on this video game. It's pretty easy. They know how long people are playing and how many times. So that's a lot of people, granted. It's a lot of people playing it. But it's longer than time. If you're an old earth creationist, not a young earth creationist, but if you're an old earth creationist, this, I forget the name of the game, has more hours logged in this game across the world than this earth has been in existence. And I was like, wow, that's an unbelievable fact. And that's what it was called, unbelievable facts. But I don't really have a hard time Believe in that, because in 2006, I had this list of counseling things that I, that I see couples for. And in 2006, video games found its way to the list. It's really weird, you know, and I haven't heard a new story since 2006. But don't try to outdo that. Just keep living. Um, so, as we wind down here, this is a Puritan prayer. I think... Cameron reads one of these, right, during the thing. 
Listen to this. When thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldst take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, honor, and trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to man's approbation and am by nature and an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. Now, if you know me at all, my goal is not to beat you up at all. That's, that's not what we need because I'm not your Holy Spirit. I hope you see that we might just need to do some self-evaluation wherever you are to find out about your simplicity, your silence, your solitude, and your surrender as your determined purpose is to know Christ in an intimate, relational way because he already knows you in an intimate way, but he's waiting for you to, to walk with that. That's, that, is, that is the beauty and the truth um, that the world looks at us and says, I can't see. Because most lost people look at a church and say, I know what they're against, but I never know what they're for. And the study in the millennial generation is they look at a structured church and they often see self-serving people who want to argue about structures and stuff. And they say, I don't really want to be a part of that. That's a, that's a most recent survey and search on millennials and the established church. But we know, because Cameron beats us up all the time with it in a good way, what's the church? The people, even though that blue on the front looks really good. I'm a blue guy. That was a good coat. So can you wrap your head around this one sentence? Because a lot of us in this room are control freaks or control freaks who don't want to be in control. Nothing under God's control can ever be out of control. How do you know that truth? You need to get into the Word. These are things that are easy to say when we're comfortable, for the most part. It's a little warm. I don't know if y'all are warm, but it's hot up here. But we're comfortable. Nothing's going on. We're not getting shot at. You know, you know, Our bank account's not dwindling and all that stuff as we sit in here. But when you walk out there, I know I work through it. How does that apply to this? I mean, that guy just did this, and how do I apply to that? When we keep our hands out of things, he will... His will will be accomplished. His name is exalted. His glory is magnified. That's the beauty of a relationship and one that I'm still learning, I'm still studying, and I have not arrived yet. And uh, I'm okay with that. I hope you're okay with that, and we're still growing and still moving. Cool? Capiche? Okay. So... Who are you? God, design, God defines you. Nothing defines you. But you're, you're a steward of some unbelievable abilities and skills and talents and whatever he's made you do. You, you're the only you there is. That's, that's the coolest part. And we need you. Not in a way that we want to manipulate it, but we do. The body needs every part. So when things whisper in, truth wins. Whisper it out.